Hello and welcome to Etsy Ketsy. This is our third episode. Today we are discussing Blade Runner. Blade Runner. Blade Runner. Um, so today on the podcast we have Ralph. Yo. Uh, Ralph's in New York right now, as per usual. Um, and we also have me, Olive. Correct. Um, I'm currently in Paris, as per usual. How's it going? Oh, you're back in Paris? I am. I got back today. Oh, nice. Um, yeah. Normandy looked awesome this week. Normandy you guys is were awesome. exploring all these old. Yeah, we, we saw a ruins. couple towers. We managed to take a quick trip to Etretat, which I'm always a fan of. Cool. Etretat you know? is cool. Good, uh, yeah, good couple weeks. How about you? How are you? Good. Um, I got a pretty sick Amazon delivery yesterday. Oh, yeah? With what? Yeah, I got an Oculus Quest. An Oculus Quest 2. What? Oh, my gosh. It is insane. (laughs) It is so cool. You've been testing it out all day? I was questing for, like, three hours last night. (laughs) That's amazing. Like the waiting what have you been room. Doing? Literally the waiting room where you choose what game you want to play is like so cool. Wow. Dude, um, I want to try it out. Yeah, it's it's crazy. It, because I tried the the original Oculus Rift and it was mm-hmm. it was okay. Um yeah. but this one leveled up like way better graphics, way faster. I don't know. It really? was cool. I did a, there's like a free meditation app I did. Um, nice. I was like doing this roller coaster app for a while. Roller coaster game. Yeah, it was cool. Awesome. Sounds awesome. Well, I'll have to try it out if I ever come visit you. Yeah, you should. Someday. I also got an orbital projector. Oh, yeah. I was admiring those earlier. Yeah. It really is like me want one. so worth it. <laughs> it's like small yeah, price I've for. Been, I've been thinking my ceiling looks pretty boring recently. Been thinking a lot about my ceiling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. So this week we watched Blade Runner. Yeah. Uh, it was my first time watching it, right. but I had seen Blade Runner 2049 before. Oh, interesting. Um, and this was not your first time watching it. But only my second time. In fact, my very first time was only in quarantine watching oh, Blade really? Runner. Oh, really? Yeah, it was probably... Oh. It was probably April. Mm. April of 2020. Nice. Um, yeah, so pretty recently. Yeah, or I guess and almost then a year ago. Blade Runner twenty forty nine. I feel like I saw it. Maybe right after. Mm. I'm not sure when I watched Blade Runner forty nine twenty forty nine. I'm not sure either, but I, I know I watched it in the last two years. I'm okay. just not sure when. <laughs> you didn't see it in theaters. No. I hope I get to see either Blade Runner or 2049 in theaters. 
they definitely are movies that seem like they are ideal and the- like they are the ideal theater movie. Totally. You know, to see with the big audience who's reacting to everything and yeah, to see everything on the big screen. I mean, I think most movies are best seen in the theater, but like big action movies and sci-fi movies, I think especially. I agree. Yeah. Um, so this is a, a Ridley Scott directed film. Mm-hmm. Is this like his first major? Oh no! I no, I think Alien was did, before. Yeah. Well, yeah. Alien I think was he had done like seventy nine. Yeah, that sounds right. I think he'd done a bunch of commercials, like directed mm. a bunch of advertisements. Really. For like a span of years before he ever directed a film, but that gave him experience directing. Yeah, that's um, smart. But yeah, I think Blade Runner, I think Alien came before. I think mm-hmm. you're right. But not, I mean, Alien Blade Runner came out in 1982. By... Yeah, and yeah, so 79 to 82, that's not very long. Like those are two pretty influential movies. Yeah, um, totally. To have come out so close to each other. Well done, Ridley Scott. Um, what did you think of Blade Runner? Okay. Should we, oh, should we give a brief overview first? Uh, yeah, you want to give an overview? Sure, okay. So Blade Runner is one of the most celebrated science fiction films. Um, but originally it wasn't received very well, or maybe wasn't the biggest box office success, mm-hmm. but in later years, people and critics have looked back on this film as an incredibly important piece of art and pop culture, and also a, an incredibly influential piece of science fiction and maybe one of the first instances of uh, cyberpunk in mainstream in Hollywood. Mm. So this is a film set in Los Angeles, um, set in 2019, I think. Yeah. So it's it, Made in 82, but set in 2019, and it shows this dystopian version of California. And there are these hyper-intelligent robots uh, who look exactly like humans and feel exactly like humans. uh, Cyborgs, I guess, called um, replicants. And these replicants were made by the Tyrell Corporation, which is just a huge tech corporation in this universe so they created these replicants and these replicants were created basically to do slave labor on uh on space colonies Mm -hmm. so so they're made to just do labor in space and um there's a a group of 
rebel replicants in space who come back to Earth. And Harrison Ford is our lead in this movie, and he plays Rick Deckard, who is uh, the classic retired cop who's <laughs> recruited for one last job. And his job is he's going to be a Blade Runner. And what the Blade Runners do is they track down the replicants, they assassinate the replicants, and part of that process is verifying that it is actually a replicant. And the verification of whether or not somebody is a replicant is a pretty involved process. There's a test. Uh, it's like... A, there's a there's a actually a name for it in the movie like comp test something like that. I can't remember. But yeah, you're right. There is a name for it. Yeah, let me see if I can quickly pull it up. Okay, I can't. Um, so it's an involved process to um, determine whether void, or not void comp test. Okay, yeah. So. What the Blade Runners do, they have to determine whether or not somebody is a replicant. They use the Voight-Kampf test, which is sort of like the... <laughs> they use the Voight-Kampf test uh, to see if they're human or not. It's just yeah. like a series of questions, and depending on the answers, you can tell if somebody's a replicant or a human. Mm-hmm. And replicants are extremely... Um, physically capable they're very strong they're very intelligent and they're also desperate for this uh... (laughs) never mind (laughs) (laughs) so they're very strong they're very intelligent and they're hard targets to catch yeah I mean it really is like built like a human but stronger in almost every way. Yeah, totally. Which is the, the ultimate target for a retired police officer. <laughs> or I guess just not really a police officer, but for all intents and purposes, yes. Yeah. Um, thanks for that overview. That was awesome. Oh, I was going to... The Voight-Kampf test is sort of like the Turing test. Yeah. Like they do in Ex Machina yeah, to exactly. determine whether or not uh, some an artificial intelligence is human or not. Mm-hmm. Or it could, could be mistaken for a human. Yeah. Dude, speaking of Ex Machina, I've been wanting to rewatch that. I might, uh, I might yeah, get to it this week. We should do a... That would be a good episode of the podcast. I'm down. Maybe a couple um, weeks from now. So yeah, Blade Runner. Yeah. What were your um, impressions of this movie? So there were... There are lots of things that I like about this movie. Yeah. Um, I think the cinematography is some of the best I've seen in sci-fi movies. Um, and it holds up really well. Yeah, it holds up really well. This it could just have come like, out this year. Yeah, and it would yeah. still be impressive. The cinematography would still be impressive. It feels like every shot is really thoughtfully composed. Um, mm. 
you know, there's lots of depth, the, the lighting. That's something uh, I notice about the lighting is oftentimes uh, characters' faces will be like half in the shadow or fully in the shadow or something. So it kind of adds this air of mystery of like you can't see their full face, you can't see their full reactions. Yeah, like the end sequence in um, Blood Simple. Yeah. It reminded exactly me of like Blood that. Simple. Exactly like that. I hadn't even made that. Um, yeah. No, that's a great comparison. Um, I also think the color, like both the color palette of the movie and the color grading um, are really well done. Yeah. And just like really add to the world. And I don't even know what extent films were color graded in the 80s because I no I I believe one of the first movies that was like the color was digitally altered was Saving Private Ryan to make it really? look more 99 blue um but this movie looks huh. color graded like the yeah. color palette is so good wow now i'm even more impressed with it so it's yeah i wonder I wonder what the story is there. If it's all no, in camera, I'm sure you're right. that's pretty in- impressive. Wow, yeah. Yeah, how about you? Yeah. Um, there are things I love about this movie, and there are things that don't work for me in this movie. Mm-hmm. But I agree. Um, it looks amazing. Um so, and one thing I was reading about the cinematography is what you were talking about, how, so Blade Runner is classifiable as a neo-noir, and really? one aspect yeah, of so. film noir is, uh, like, high contrast lighting, or chiaroscuro, mm-hmm. and Blade Runner is, like, the perfect example of that, um... Also, the visual effects really hold up for me. They look so good. I thought the same thing. I like, love... Like, they really, they really work. Yeah, all the establishing shots of um, dystopian Los Angeles looks With so good. With a big, like, Coca-Cola sign on the building and everything. Yeah, and I think it's because they went super simple with those shots. Like, mm-hmm. okay, we're just going to do an ultra-wide static shot and the ship is just going to approach this building. Instead yeah. of, like, an involved chase, which probably wouldn't have held out as much, yeah, um, for sure. those visual effects wouldn't have aged as well as the visual effects in this movie because they do a, a lot with very little. So That's super impressive point. what they could yeah. pull off. Like, all the holograms. Yeah. Um, this <laughs> I, I genuinely was surprised that uh, by how realistic everything looks by today's standards. Yeah. It's also set in an alternate universe where Pan Am didn't go bankrupt. <laughs> <laughs> I noticed that. I noticed that there's a... There's like Atari and Pan Am. And yeah. Like, and I kept thinking, oh, they got that wrong. These companies that in the 80s would have seemed like, oh yeah, these will be the big players. <laughs> For the next These while. will never, these will never, these companies will never go bankrupt. It'll never end. 
Yeah. The main thing I noticed they got wrong about 2019 is smoking in buildings. Mm. <laughs> like, people were just smoking indoors. Yeah. It's 2019, guys. We don't do Not that. Not cool. <laughs> um, um, but so, there are lots of things that worked for me in this movie, and most of them are aesthetic. Totally. The story and the characters for me didn't work very much. It felt kind of empty. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Which uh which I was really disappointed with. Wait, empty. What do you mean empty? It just it didn't feel like um a lot of the characters had depth um or a lot of depth that um that yeah. I kind of need to have in order to empathize with them properly to like fully immerse myself in the story and fully enjoy um, or experience the emotional highs and lows of a story. Yeah, underdeveloped characters, you don't get For much sure. with any of them. Yeah. And I, it also, honestly, if I can say it, it was kind of boring. Oh, totally. It's and I think so that's boring. kind of a, I think that's actually a pretty common thing to say about this movie. The fact really? is, it's very slow paced. There's not too much action. Yeah. And the story is very hard to follow. The first time I watched this movie, the whole time I was like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> what the hell is happening? Um, and even this time... I was like, wait, I feel like maybe key plot points that drive the narrative forward are just like Mm -hmm. quickly brushed over in like one line of dialogue. Yeah. So it's hard to follow the plot. Um, It's very slow. However, um, those things don't really matter and almost serve the movie for the vibes they give. You watch this movie for the vibes. That's the fact. That was, and that was something that I'd be watching and I'd realize like, oh, for the last 10 minutes, I haven't really been paying attention to the story or like to the dialogue because I've just been experiencing the vibes. Yeah. It's eye like, candy. Oh, it's a great it's, shot. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. It's eye candy. There's um, the gorgeous synthesizer soundtrack. Ugh. Oh my gosh, Vangelis. the music is incredible. Yeah. So, Vangelis is the composer who mm. I think he was recruited for this movie after he did Chariots of Fire, that soundtrack. Oh my gosh. But Blade Runner, dude, incredible. just like the the soaring synthesizers and the saxophone just crooning yeah. over them. And I also noticed um, a lot of times in the action sequences... Or even just at that opening scene of the test. Yeah. Um, there were oftentimes these like rhythmic beats, um, which almost felt to me like heartbeats, but very electronic. And cool. that kind of, those were some of the few times where I was really invested in the story and like paying attention to have that rhythm of like, no, you're supposed to be watching this. Like actually pay attention to this part that's funny 
it's funny because a lot of filmmakers are returning to shooting on film and mm-hmm. I've, I think synthesizer soundtracks are having a bit of a comeback. Yeah. So that makes Blade Runner feel even more like it could have come out this year. Because I think a lot of movies coming out are taking a lot from Blade Runner. For sure. There are definitely... I was surprised by how modern parts of it felt. Um, so yeah, props to Ridley Scott for that. Yeah. So let's talk about like the cyberpunk components and style of this movie. Because I think that's one of the most important things or notable things about Blade Runner. Yeah, so first of all, I, I didn't know the definition of, of cyberpunk until this morning when I looked it up. Um, and the definition is a genre of science fiction set in a lawless subculture of an oppressive society dominated by computer technology. Which sounds like this very specific thing, but there are a lot of stories and movies. Yeah, there's not much imagination when it comes to dystopian movies. No. (laughs) Yeah, they're all they're all pretty much the same story. That, yeah, that vision of a dystopia that sort of emerged in the eighties hasn't really the cyberpunk dystopia that emerged in the 80s has remained the same yeah and hasn't really changed at all so i think one interesting cyberpunk trope that i think this movie really um propelled uh Mm -hmm is the presence of, like, Eastern aesthetics. Um, Mm. It's sort of, like, this idea of a very globalized future. So the Los Angeles in this movie, it looks more like like, uh, Shanghai or something like that. Yeah. And the word for it, or there's a phrase to describe that, is techno-orientalism, which is the use of Asian aesthetics in cyberpunk or futuristic dystopian settings. So you get that in Ghost in the Shell or or the Cyberpunk 2077 video game that came out this year. Mm. There's a bunch of instances of just like neon Japanese lettering yeah. And uh, in cyberpunk films all over the place. Um, I absolutely had not made that connection, but yeah. Well, you so get true. that in Blade Runner right off the bat when Deckard is eating noodles. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's an interesting trope. Yeah, wow. That's interesting. I want to do some research on that. I think it's a bit of fetishization of... For sure. Of, uh, you know, Asian aesthetics. Mm -hmm. And I was reading a bit about techno-Orientalism, and another theory is that maybe it's it's a manifestation of American anxieties of losing global power to... Mm. like, Like the rise of China as a world superpower and... yeah our anxiety of 
of that power shift and how bet, things will yeah. change. It's, I'm sure it's a lot of that. <laughs> yeah, whoa, that's actually really interesting. Hmm. Yeah. This, it's uh, also a, there's like also very weird parts of this movie. I agree. Like um, weird 80s, weird 80s things that like jump out. I'm mostly thinking of the like two midget friends. They're like these yeah, like the... tiny like robot friends that were made and they're like sentient. Mm-hmm. And one looks like a Russian soldier. Yep. And the other is a sentient teddy bear. And like they just come yeah. out of nowhere. And they're so strange and like so distracting. <laughs> and I they feel of... offensive. <laughs> it does. That, that did feel offensive. But you can't quite Maybe put your is. finger on why. <laughs> There's also like kind of like a rapey scene um oh totally but not yeah. even rapey there's like a rape scene um by harrison ford which like would not fly by today's standards should yeah. have flown <laughs> by the 80s standards but you know at least, at least we're advancing as a society past that. Maybe so we are. I will admit, um, well, at least we're not openly embracing it as much. Um, so it was, I'll admit, kind of hard to cheer that character on after that scene. Yeah. Um, what version yeah. of Blade Runner did you watch? There's, uh, there's like seven versions of it. Whichever, like, final cut or director's cut or... Uh, actually, let me double check. <laughs> I guess if I say mm. either final cut or... Um, That's like a well-known part of Blade, the Blade Runner really? mythos like, is... Yeah. There's all these versions and they there's a lot of variation between them. They're like pretty mm. different from each other. I watched the director's cut. Cool. What did you watch? I watched the international cut, otherwise known Whoa. as the Criterion Edition. Um, and I trust that cut. It is very... It's, like, more violent than the other versions. I didn't know that going huh. in, but uh, it did feel much more brutal than the first time I watched this. Yeah. Because I don't know what version I watched the first time, but this time around felt significantly more brutal. <laughs> There's a huh. unicorn scene. Was there a unicorn scene in the one you watched? The version you watched? Like a unicorn dream sequence? A unicorn running through a forest? I don't think so. But it's also possible that that was uh, during one of those instances when I was deep in the vibe. But yeah. I feel like I would remember a unicorn. It is hard to miss. So. Um, so I didn't have that scene this time around in the international cut, but I did the first mm. time, and it's a really cool scene. It's worth looking up on YouTube. Blade Runner unicorn dream sequence. Deckard <laughs> is just like... I'll check at it this, out. At this bar, he's kind of zoning out, 
falling into sleep and then out of nowhere you just see this um foggy forest and a unicorn just ripping through it it's really cool it hmm. looks so good yeah wow that's interesting i i definitely want to check out that scene now so i know i mean they had like the paper unicorn yeah but i don't know so and kind of talking about the problematic aspects of harrison ford's character mm-hmm. um that's also i think part of that is a a, a a film noir trope where the protagonist usually has some pretty sus morals like yeah a pretty yeah, yeah, yeah. intense moral compass where you're like whoa what did you just do and and film noir protagonists are usually these very cynical uh, persons who yeah. don't have much trust in humanity or the world anymore, which leads them to do oftentimes very bad things. Yeah. And I, I do... I mean... I get it. Uh, I get... I think I get what they were trying to go for, but I did, But there are definitely better ways to go about it. Um, yeah, I I think it's much better executed in twenty forty nine. Yeah. Because after that scene in Blade Runner eighty two, like you just straight up don't like Deckard anymore. No. But in a movie like, um, or the other Ryan Gosling in Drive, where the protagonist. You know, they'll do some very violent things or occasionally very, inhumane very things. Very violent. But just enough humanity that you stay with them and you still like them. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> Blade Runner really, really <laughs> tests that boundary. <laughs> it really does. I think that's another Although reason Harrison maybe... Ford is great in this movie. Oh, I agree. He's, yeah, he's one of the... One of the best acting performances, I think. Yeah, because it's not goofy like a lot of his other movies, a lot of his other performances. So mm-hmm. it shows his his range. Yeah. Um, I think one of the... Maybe one of the reasons I was kind of disappointed in Blade Runner is because I loved Blade Runner 2049 so much. Yeah. Uh, and this just didn't... It didn't hit the same for me. Didn't hit the same? No. Yeah. Yeah, Blade Runner 2049 takes what what works in Blade Runner and uses that mm-hmm. and then improves upon what didn't work in Blade Runner. Absolutely. I think 2049 is still a, a long movie and at times boring, but uh, definitely yeah. more fast-paced and more consistent action than Blade Runner. And I do think there is, I mean, I think there's a case to be made that Blade Runner 82 is more impressive than 2049, just in its kind of originality. Um, That isn't obviously, uh, isn't the same for 2049, being as it's a sequel. Right. The trailblazing quality of Blade Runner 
just Absolutely, sort of setting yeah. a standard for for science fiction and just a super confident entry into the genre and dialing in a really specific style that obviously resonated and continues to resonate um, 40 years later. Yeah. That's just plain impressive. Absolutely. Blade Runner 2049 is incredible, though. It's like the gold standard of what a a sequel should be. For sure. Um, It really does... All sequels, ideally, are just taking everything that worked in the first movie and improving upon anything that didn't. And I think the aspect of what makes 2049 awesome, or one aspect is, it's set in the same universe as Blade Runner. Mm-hmm. And it's you feel the familiarity of the universe when you watch 2049. But mm. it also explores different areas in the universe. Yeah. So it shows you, oh, you didn't see this in the OG, but this is also happening. And that's yeah, like well, one critique of Star Wars is the most recent um, sequels that have come mm-hmm. out haven't really uh, shown you more of the Star Wars universe. Much. It's yeah. just more of what we've seen. But the George Lucas prequels, you know, as corny as they may be, they were showing you all these different new planets and different new alien species. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, so... Yeah. Sorry, I cut you out for you. You were um, gonna say I, something. I can't remember. <laughs> I don't think it was important though. <laughs> <laughs> um, sorry. <laughs> well, okay. One thing I did want to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um. So, Blade Runner is a dystopian movie. It paints a bleak future. Um, it's the idea that even if technology gets better, it doesn't mean that the quality of life will necessarily get better. Yeah. Do you think the quality of life in 2021 is better than the quality of life in 1921 in every way? Hmm. Or maybe just in certain ways and worse in other ways? I think, um, that's an interesting question. I think in almost every way... Yes, the quality of life in 2021 for the general population is better than it was in 1921. I do think uh, there are things that um, maybe have fallen out of importance for uh, today's culture that I think would be beneficial if they were more important. I think, uh, well, specifically right now with COVID, there's not a lot of, we can't have the same amount of social interactions that we once could. So I'm sure in 2021, uh, people's social lives were probably better. But then again, we are, oh, sorry. What did I say? Just 2021. Yeah. In 1921. But then again, we are so connected through our technology that maybe it really isn't that much of a difference. We're so connected, but are we even friends? <laughs> exactly. Um, and it, like, yeah. exactly that. Just people can get so focused on our technology nowadays of just right. 
always on their phones. I mean, it's the basic complaint of, like, everyone's always on their phones. No one's actually paying attention to each other. But, like, kind of. In, 20, in 1921, people had to pay attention to each other. Or, like, read. Because <laughs> what else was there to do? Yeah. I agree. I think most things have for sure improved. Um, just on a basic level of, like, plumbing yeah and showers and that sort of thing they're probably better today um but I feel like in 1921 uh, it was way more commonplace to write these really lengthy beautiful letters to your loved ones and acquaintances mm. um ha- and have like a nice handwriting I think was more commonplace because Required. much more of your life was spent writing instead of yeah. typing. Um, I think probably your relationships in a lot of ways were more enriching because mm. you're spending more time together for one, less digital time together. And yeah, you're just doing things with people instead of texting them. Yeah. So I think in a lot of ways, relationships and friendships were probably more fruitful and enriching um can you say that so it's interesting wondering if you know uh 50 years down the line we have incredible technology but maybe some things that we enjoy in 2021 will have lost by 2050 or 2080 or 2070 (laughs) um Yeah, that's an interesting, like, thought experiment. Because so much has changed. Huh. Yeah, I, and everything's just going to change even more in the next hundred years. And, exponential yeah. Exponential growth. Shout, shout out to exponential growth. <laughs> shout out to exponential growth. <laughs> Um, okay. But yeah, that's the aspect that the cyberpunk genre just nails. Technological advancement does not necessarily lead to a higher quality of life. Yeah. Oh, and I remembered, I was going to say that I haven't watched Blade Runner 2049 now that I've seen the original. So I feel like I'm just going to enjoy it even more. Yeah. Uh, now that I have a little, little bit more background. I'm excited. <laughs> Blade Runner, yeah, I think it'll totally enhance the enjoyment of 2049. Yeah. Um, so I'm also not a huge fan of the depiction of artificial intelligence or the robots in Blade Runner. Yeah, um, tell me why. I think Ex Machina does like a way better job of giving an idea of what it would actually look like. Um, And I think Blade Runner humanizes the robots to, like, an unrealistic degree. Mm. um, Where they're just, like... uh, They just feel so... um, They're almost... Dramatic. dramatic That it's almost distracting. Mm. And, like, when they're, like... um, I think it's more powerful in 
spoiler alert for Ex Machina. I think it's more powerful in the end scene of Ex Machina when you just see the utter lack of emotions when she just leaves the home and locks him in. Yeah. Or, yeah. Versus in Blade Runner when Roy, the lead replicant, every time he's, like, beating somebody up, he's, like, so aggressive and there's just so much hate and fury in his face. Yeah. And that's, like, I think it would have been more powerful if you just see, like, an emotionless murder. But maybe that's the point of Blade Runner. It's showing, look, these guys became human. They're straight Mm -hmm. up human. I do wonder how much of that is a change from the 80s and, like, how we understand AI. Technology. That's like maybe it's. I mean, I wasn't alive in '82. Maybe they thought that in 2019 we would have robots that were basically human. Like we see now that that probably won't ever be the case. But I mean, who knows? Yeah. So it, of course, Ex Machina is a more recent movie. So, like, of course, it's going to be more accurate, but or at least more accurate to what we know AI to be. Yeah, but Our that is an interesting modern comparison. Understanding of AI. Yeah. Um, you want to get into it didn't official cor- ratings? Blade Runner didn't correctly predict the California climate either. Oh no! <laughs> we got a drought, actually. Actually, it's the opposite. I don't know how often it does rain in LA, but it can't be very often. Mm-mm. But I was a fan of. Just, like, I always think it's cool when a movie set in the future is set in a, a city that exists today, and you just see the way people What's imagine changed? that the city changes. Yeah. There's a few different interesting L.A. futures. I'm thinking of... So, Blade Runner, you get this um, uh, super rainy, gritty L.A., it's always nighttime. Mm-hmm. It's always blue. There's huge Times Square advertisements, um, holographic advertisements for Coca-Cola and Pan Am and Atari. It's just cool. And then you have yeah. like these these black these these marketplaces on ground level that look like like uh, Morocco or something like that with. Um, animals running through and it's just cool it's just cool and it works on a lot of levels um another cool imagining imagining is elysium which is the director of district nine he directed a movie called elysium which is actually pretty awesome and it's about like the wealthy people of the world basically leave earth to live on this little space station that's just like Mm -hmm. an oasis leaving all the poverty on earth to just like suffer through climate change and other mis- other um emergencies other other things yeah. <laughs> um and so it's set in LA but I think it was filmed in Mexico City so it's just like this um third world version of LA and there's like a lot of favelas and it's uh, it's another imagining that's interesting. And then you have her, Spike Jones, 
that LA, I think they shot that in maybe, I think they shot it in China, in Shanghai maybe. Mm. And it's like this beautiful, clean, doesn't look like LA, it just looks like this sleek modern city that's yeah. really aesthetically pleasing. So I like different imaginations of how cities will evolve or devolve. Yeah. Pretty much um, my favorite imagination of a city changing isn't even like a dystopian or anything, but just San Francisco in Big Hero oh, 6. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah, genuinely yeah. think about that like on a daily basis. I think it's oh. fair to say San Francisco. Uh, probably has its roots in that Blade Runner sentiment. Yeah, I'd believe that. That that makes a lot of sense. Because that San Francisco isn't from the comics. They just fabricated that for the Disney film. Oh, really? And so I think. Oh, it I could totally. I think it subconsciously came from Blade Runner. I bet. Yeah, wow. Hmm. Just the American fascination with Japan and all things Japanese. So beautiful. The Golden Gate Bridge and that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I think we might need to do a whole episode on Big Hero 6 just so I can talk about San Francisco. Yeah, we should. We really should. Yeah. Um, anything else about Blade Runner? Uh, watch it for the vibes, everybody. Yeah. Watch this movie for Definitely the vibes. Definitely watch it for the vibes. Um, it's a hard-to-follow plot, a hard-to-follow story. There's many imperfections, but mm-hmm. what this movie is so perfect at doing is just setting a tone and an atmosphere and building a world that yeah. you totally feel. Should we rate this movie? I think so. I think it's time. Uh, Do you want to go first? I can go first. Okay. This is going to be controversial. But I'm giving this an Etsy Ketsy. Ooh. Um, I'm rating this... I'm rating this Etsy Ketsy. Because... As much as I can appreciate uh, the vibes of the movie and how fun it is to watch just for the vibes, I think there are other movies um, that have done a similar thing where there's like not really a big plot uh, or like super developed characters purposefully. Um, I think yeah. one of them is 2001 A Space Odyssey that doesn't have a, you know, really developed plot or super developed characters. Um, and it's obviously done on purpose. And I think that really works for the movie. Yeah. And it doesn't take away from my experience watching it. So I know that it can be done. And Blade Runner didn't do that for me. So wow. it gets an Etsy Ketsy. I would still recommend watching it, though. I'm not going to say, don't watch this. Yeah, Etsy Ketsy isn't a diss No, it's way. just Etsy Ketsy. So and so. 
wow. Wow. I know. I know. How about you? What do you rate it? That's our first Etsy Ketsy review on Etsy Ketsy. I know, and it's Blade Runner. <laughs> I was considering Etsy Ketsy, but ultimately I'm going to go for Kalos. Um, mm-hmm. This movie, despite its shortcomings, I find it really creatively inspiring. Yeah. I think it's just so imaginative and cool on so many levels. Oh, we never really talked about the book this movie is based on. We can talk a little bit about that after my review. Just we'll briefly mention it. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, I think it's slow paced and boring, yet if you sink to the right level and just sort of absorb the movie and the vibes, mm-hmm. and, or maybe just throw it on a projector and have it playing in the background and you soak in the juicy evangelist synthesizers, <laughs> I don't know. I just, I think it's really a really forward-thinking movie ahead of its time on every level. It holds up. The acting holds up. Totally. I love Blade Runner, yeah. Yeah. I was definitely in between Etsy Ketsy and Kalos, so I'm glad, I'm glad we got both. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, yeah, this movie is based on a novel by Philip K. Dick called Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? I've been wanting to read this. It's a great title for a novel. It's such a good title. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't read it yet, but I hope to read it soon. I have been on a sort of science fiction kick. I guess I'm just a yeah. big science fiction fan, mm. so... I don't know. Awesome. Um, should we get into our double feature wrecks? Sure. Yeah, go um, for it. Yeah, I'll go first. So the obvious double feature for this film would be Blade Runner 2049. Um, right. But everyone already knew that. So the movie I went with is Jonathan Glazer's Under the Skin. Okay. Because uh, for, for many reasons, I think it would make a great double feature. Um, but honestly, the main one is I think there's a similar sense of loneliness in both movies of just sort of isolation and these like long empty long empty like pauses where not much is happening in the plot or to the characters or you're not understanding what's happening whatever it is uh, yeah. they just give me similar yeah similar senses of loneliness um, and interesting, like isolation. I really love. And... Yeah, and I I really love Under the Skin. Uh, so, of course, I'm gonna recommend it. Um, 
and I and like after watching Blade Runner, I immediately wanted to watch Under the Skin, because there are some similarities in the in the storyline too. Yeah. Um. So just to see, to remind myself of how Under the Skin handles it differently and the way the characters uh, play out their stories differently, very differently. Um, I find it really interesting. So yeah, Under the Skin. I have never seen Under the Skin. <sighs> Watch it as soon as you can. <laughs> I think we name dropped it last episode because isn't it the really? same soundtrack composer as Jackie? Was that Under the Skin? Oh yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, I think it I think was. So. Uh, I, f- I f- feel like I confuse Under the Skin with A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. Mm. I haven't seen that yet. Yeah, I need to watch it. Uh, the so way you described it watch. made it sound really good. I like how yeah. your double features are always unexpected. <laughs> I try my best. Okay, <laughs> I want to hear your double feature. Okay. Um, I'm going to re- recommend Blade Runner 2049. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's so many movies that I think would would work really well as double features. Um, yeah. I think there's a lot of anime movies. Mm. Like, I think Akira, Ghost in the Shell, Perfect Blue would all work incredibly well with this movie. Mm. I'm going to go ahead and recommend Seven by David Fincher. Ooh. I think it's the same, you know, it's a cop who's almost done, almost retired, but it's going to do one last job and maybe the most intense job of his whole career. It's the same, like, dreary, raining, everyday city. And both movies just build their world so well um, that you just have this very full sense of the setting yeah. And both movies are brutal in similar ways. And it's two film noir films. Uh, I think they're very similar in a lot of ways. And they would complement each other nicely. Yeah. I like that. I like that double feature, Rick. Um, huh. Yeah, dude. I, I wish my version of Blade Runner that I have had the unicorn scene because that would be your perfect version it is truly it like improves the movie i think a significant degree yeah yeah i want to go i want to do like research on the differences between all the different cuts now blade runner feels like a movie where you could watch it many times and get something different each time i bet yeah it seems like because I felt like it was a totally different experience. I mean, it was a different cut already that I've watched. Well, you could do that. Watch a different cut every time. Yeah. Yeah, eventually it would be cool to see every version. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, should we go to News Hour? Let's do it. Cool. One, one piece of news is related to Big Hero 6. I hear that um, Marvel will be doing a live action Big Hero 6 or 
or have the Big Hero 6 characters make an appearance in another live-action Marvel film? I... My jaw dropped when I first heard that news. You, you like, texted it to the family. Yeah, I threw it on the family chat. Our family, we're all big fans of Big Hero 6, so I figured... Oh, yeah. How could you not be? And it was, I think, one of the first things I saw when I had woken up. And it just, I mean, set the tone for my day. (laughs) Just, you start off, Big Hero 6 is getting into the MCU? Oh, snap. It's crazy. It's a great way to start your day. Highly recommend. Do you think it'll Um, be good? You know, I'm excited. Uh, I'm excited to see how they reimagine the characters for live action. Um, I'm excited to see the characters again because I freaking love them. Uh, I need to rewatch Big Hero 6, first of all, because it's been a while. Me too. But... Yeah, yeah, I'd really I'm like excited. to see. I think I think it'll be good. I think if Marvel goes about it in a Ready Player One sort of way, um, like that that sort of tone, I think mm. could be a really cool movie. I think they should. I hope they take a lot from what Disney was already doing, because yeah. I think Disney nailed the adaptation For, of a sure. super obscure Marvel comic. That didn't have much it's going so for good. it. Such a great movie. I actually don't know. Maybe the comic is awesome. I haven't read it. But Maybe. I get the idea that it's very obscure, like, bottom of the pile of comics. Uh, let's see if we can adapt this. <laughs> um, and then it ends up being this incredible movie. Oh. Yeah. What's other film news? Uh, We got confirmation the other day that... District 9 is getting a sequel. Cool. Called District 10. Uh, screenplay is currently being written. So that's exciting. Oh, that'll be awesome. Wait, is it the same director? What's his uh, name? I think so. Uh, Blomkamp? Neil Blomkamp. Neil Blomkamp? Blomkamp? South African guy, no. yeah. I don't know. Um, he's the one who confirmed it, so I assume he's directing. Because I, I feel like District 9 is his baby, so... I would yeah. imagine. Yeah. Uh, what else? There's a... We're getting a Superman reboot. J.J. Abrams directing. Tanahashi Coates writing. I'm excited to see that. Who's for, writing? Uh, Tanahashi Coates. Or Tanahashi Coates. I can't remember how to pronounce it. Who is that? Um, he's this writer... I... I uh, my English teacher in what, like junior year forced us to read a lot of him. Oh, really? Um, but he's just this American author. Uh, he wrote the book Between the World and Me. Okay. I don't know if you've read it. Um, Between the World and Me. I haven't read it. It's great. Uh, yeah. Uh, he talks, he writes a lot about, um, like reparations and uh, lots of like social justice mixed with um, these like beautiful philosophies and he's just this beautiful writer. Yeah. Um, so I'm excited to see what he does with a Superman movie. 
The world uh, is in yeah. desperate need of a good Superman movie. It's been a long it's time. It's been so long. Uh, I actually liked biggest... Man of Steel a lot. Um, yeah. It was fun. Well, no, that's not a fun movie. <laughs> no. I know I said that. I was like, mm, was it? The end was fun. The end was not fun. Superman the end was... basically commits like 10 9-11s. Okay, but remember when... Spoiler alert, when, like, the the dirt moves in the coffin, you're like, oh, he's not dead. Oh, yeah. That was, was fun. Was that at the end of Man of Steel? Was it not? Was that, like, Batman versus Superman? I that might have been Batman v. Superman. I absolutely don't remember. <laughs> no idea. I watched those both once in theaters, and I pretty much forgot about them immediately after. Are you going to watch the Snyder Cut of Justice League? Oh, you mean the four-hour-long movie? Um, it's four hours? Yeah. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Four, four hours and one minute long. Wow. So I was planning on watching it, but now I don't know if I will. What if it's amazing? That would be funny if it just no, equally No, honestly, sucks. I probably will. <laughs> that would be really funny. That's kind of how I'm feeling it will be. I think I will, I'm usually not a big fan of, uh, you know, watching a movie based on other people's reactions, but this is a case where I probably will wait to see some people's reactions to see if it's worth it to spend four hours watching it. Because I'm, yeah, I'm down smart. to watch a long movie, but only if it's going to be worth my time, you know. And probably the biggest movie news this week which really isn't that big of a news, big of news, but um, we finally got the title for Spider-Man 3, Spider-Man No Way Home. No Way Home? Um, personally. I didn't see that Spider-Man. You, what? No Way Home. You didn't see? I saw like a meme there was of a whole, Spider-Man they titles. Did like a whole I didn't joke. know that the actual title dropped. No, they did this whole joke where they had Zendaya... Um, Jacob Batalon and Tom Holland, who are all in the Spider-Man movies, each post, they were like, oh, I'm so excited to reveal the title. It's Spider-Man, Spider-Man Phone Home, Spider-Man, I can't remember. They did like three different titles. And so everyone was like, what? What? what?" Um, Exactly like that. And then at the end of the day... Marvel confirmed they were like they had Spider-Man? each, no each way one announce a different title. That's funny. Yeah, that's cheeky. Um, personally, I think it should have been Spider-Man homophobic, because because <laughs> that was the one that made me laugh the most when I first read it. Spider-Man homophobic. But you know, no way home. It's fine. I'll take Spider-Man, it. Spider-Man homosexual. Exactly. They could have made him gay. Would have been so much better. Yeah, that would have been funny how triggered everybody would be. Or like MJ. MJ should be gay. Everyone in that movie should be gay. Ugh. Yeah. It's not too late. They could still do it. Yeah. Or at uh, least some, yeah. At least bye. Yeah. <laughs> at least bye. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's the end of our news hour. Yeah. Or that's all the news I have. Yeah, movie news, I mean, 
Some weeks fruitful, some weeks no. Yeah. Not uh, not not super interesting news this week. Um okay, should we do you want to recommend a movie or should we go to pitch deck? Oh, I will recommend a movie. Okay. I don't think I'm going to um, recommend one this week. My movie recommendation uh for this week is Minari. Oh. Yeah. That's right. Um, Minari came out in 2021, but really, it pretty much just came out right now. Um, yeah. Directed by Isaac Lee Chung. It became available to rent, I think, yesterday, maybe the day before. Um, it's so good. It is amazing. Um, it's about this Korean family who moves to Arkansas for like the American dream. And it's really just we're following this family and the problems that they're trying to solve and how their life is changing. And it's really well written. It's really well made. Um, and it has what I think is my favorite score from 2020. It's a beautiful score, uh, which I think is pretty obvious to anyone who has seen it. Um, yeah. But if you haven't seen it, I'm telling you now, it's an amazing score. You should watch it. Uh, it also has Steven Yeun, which is enough reason to watch a movie if you know anything about him at all. Like, I'm sure you've I've already watched this. I've only seen him in The Walking Dead. Wait, what movie is he in? Is he in... What I movies don't think has he's he been, been in a whole lot of movies. I think he's mostly done Walking Dead. Um, but he was in... Uh, what's the Bong Joon-ho about like the giant pig thing? Oh, Okra? Okja? Uh, yeah, o- Okja. 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 What, is that uh, how you Okja. pronounce it? <laughs> I can't remember. Which is a good movie, too. Um, he's in that. He's in... He's been in a couple things. Um, but possibly more important than him is Alan Kim, who yeah. plays this little, this little boy in Minari. Um, he's the cutest. Alan Kim. He's so, he's so cute. He's so confident in his lines. He's like the perfect comic relief for the movie. It's he's amazing. the Macaulay Culkin of Minari. Macaulay Kirkin, Macaulay Kirkin, <laughs> Macaulay, Macaulay Culkin times a thousand. He's so Whoa. good. Really? Um, I, Dude, I want him to win. That's a major shade award. on Macaulay Culkin. <laughs> no, man. It's just major compliments to Alan Kim. Um, Alan uh, Kim. Yeah. Wait, where is this streaming? I, I got to watch this. It's not streaming anywhere, but it's available to rent pretty oh. much wherever. Uh, I think it's nineteen ninety nine to rent at the moment, um, but it's worth it. It is worth it. For all the rich kids out there. For all the rich kids out there. Um, cool. Yeah, I gotta yeah. watch it. The trailer yeah, looks really good. Yeah. It's a good trailer. It doesn't spoil everything. Yeah. I love it when a spoiler Cryptic doesn't trailer. when a trailer doesn't spoil everything. Um, 
And wait, did you already say it's eight twenty four, right? Did you say mm-hmm. that? I didn't, but you are correct. Um, cool. Yeah, I gotta watch yeah. it. Yeah. Um, uh, shall we awesome. move to pitch deck? Yeah, let's go to the pitch deck. So this week, our prompt that we gave ourselves was to pitch a cyberpunk film, um, tying it to Blade Runner. So mm-hmm. um, I think both of us experienced major struggles with this pitch. Yeah. Um, I only have bits and fragments of ideas. Same. I have a but, very loose, vague pitch. Okay. Um, so who knows? I have no idea what will end up coming out of my mouth, but, you know, we'll, yeah, we'll have to wait and see. In fact, I am going to make you go first. <laughs> Oof. That is low. Um, but I'll, I'll do it. I feel like so, you probably have a more realized pitch I really, than me. I really don't. Um, I think it should be noted that our original um, pitch prompt was a sci-fi movie, right. which was just impossible. There are so many directions you can go in. Yeah, so we way then, too broad of a prompt. Yeah, we then changed to cyberpunk, which still has many directions you can go in, but uh, definitely a little, uh, a little more filtered. I guess you could say. Um, so I was thinking of, again, this is very vague, but something where humans have begun storing more and more things in computers. Um, so, you know, we start with books. We move on to, uh, you know, we all have pictures and movies, eventually memories and just so on and so forth, where we're at the point where humans are essentially storing their consciousness in computers uh, to, you know, leave be for a while until they come back and get it. Um, and so I, would, I want to explore something where we have the society who's come to depend on these computers um, and doesn't use their consciousness in the same way we do. And these computers who now are holding this human consciousness, however they're able to upload it, I haven't figured that part out yet, uh, and just a kind of a turning point where the AI uh, figures out a way to use the human consciousness that, have, that has been uploaded to them and maybe probably refuses to return it to whatever human uploaded it. Because uh, I think that would be an interesting contrast to not only give AI more humanity, but also take away humanity from the humans. Yeah. Um, which has been explored before, but I'd like to explore it more. And that is my very vague Pete pitch i like that you could have like the world is literally destroyed by global warming so everybody uploads their minds onto this server Mm -hmm. and we just launch the like hard drive into space 
and yeah. just like all human yeah. consciousness just is on that hard drive just and floating, floating you just live in this space. infinite digital realm yeah that is kind of um when you say it like that that's kind of just uh uh ready player one <laughs> kind of amped up just everyone living in this virtual reality but like the virtual reality is floating in space well it's not a it's different than a virtual reality because you're not wearing a headset you're uploading your consciousness yeah it's definitely not you're leaving your biological you're you're leaving your body and but taking what makes you alive and replicating that in a digital way Mm -hmm. so the idea the goal i guess if that technology would ever work, is that you feel exactly as you do now, and there's no difference. But you'll yeah. just be a, a digital replica <laughs> or a upload. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. I definitely need to <laughs> explore it more and... Uh, That's cool. I like it. Yeah. Figure out some, Figure out some more stuff before it's a real pitch but that's all i could come up with for now okay i want to hear yours um okay hit the hit the pitch deck (laughs) (laughs) um okay so it's my turn at the pitch deck and i'm calling up timothy chalamet oh boy i'm calling up Anya Taylor-Joy. Oh. And maybe Aquafina. Wow, that's a trio. We're in the future. Okay. <laughs> this is going to sound like I have a plan at first, but... <laughs> okay, we're in the future. And we're talking cyberpunk. So in the cyberpunk um, Asia fetish tradition, we're going to imagine a, a, a China, a, a China in the future that's very globalized. So I'm going to set this movie in the Alabama district, which is sort of like um, its equivalent would be like Chinatown in San Francisco or New York. Mm. But it's like America Town in yeah. um uh within uh some Chinese city. Okay. Yeah. And Timothy Chalamet works at a McDonald's, okay? Of course. And he's like a quality control. It's all automated within this McDonald's, so nobody's like flipping burgers, but he's just yeah. making sure that the automated burger flippers are flipping the McChickens correctly. Mm. He's actually specifically assigned to the McChicken machine. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And basically on the underground, the underbelly of these cities, there's this CRISPR revolution where people are illegally breeding these insane animals. Whoa. Like albino tigers. Just like, or like weird 
animal combinations, maybe like dogs with wings, just like some spooky oh. stuff. And mm-hmm. they breed these like um they breed these white tigers and then they they like breed these like really um potent muscle enhancers for humans to take. And then they do like a tiger fighting ring, humans versus tigers. Yo. And so Timothy Chalamet, when he's done managing the McChicken machine, he's like one of the best tiger fighters. <laughs> oh my gosh. So he just takes his like muscle enhancers. Yeah, Timothy has to get ripped for this movie. <laughs> About time. Um, Anya Taylor Joy is like, she's like a. She's um, <laughs> she's just there. That's that's really all we need. She's we just, just there need her smoking there. inside. Yeah, good. Because <laughs> as she because should be. That's the truth. Um, and yeah, dude, the McChicken Tiger Fighter. Dude, uh, that's enough of a pitch for me. <laughs> I'd see that movie. I'd see that movie too. I'd I'd make an episode on that movie. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. What are we watching the next week? The McChicken Tiger or Fighter. What are we watching this week? Um, I think Nomadland. This week we're watching Nomadland. Um, it's on great. Hulu. It's on Hulu streaming. If you have a Hulu account, it is streaming for free. Mm-hmm. Watch Nomadland. We will be discussing it at length next week. Yeah. Um, in conclusion, Blade Runner is boring as hell. But it looks awesome. <laughs> yep. And look up the unicorn scene on YouTube if you know what's good yeah. for you. Yeah. Any um, final words? Last thoughts? Not really. Uh, Shout out to the Oculus Quest 2. I literally Shout have out to a the Oculus Quest virtual too. universe on my bed now. Yeah. Um, our... Uh, for those who were confused by our rating system, it's explained on our Instagram, which Correct. is at Pod. Um, follow us there. Uh, you can also follow Ralph and I on Letterboxd. Uh, you know, I don't know how to find our accounts, <laughs> but you can find them. They won't be hard to find. Um, I think yeah, yours is Olive listening. Blair. At Mine Olive is Blair. Olive Blair, yes. Mine is... I think Ralph Blair or Astro Ralph, one of the two. Yeah, it's um, always, it's yeah. always those. It's hit not our hard letter to box. find us. Hit our letterbox. Hit our hit our IG. Yeah, thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. See you next week. Etsy Ketsy signing off. Bye, Ketsitarians.